Welcome to SCG Church's podcast. We hope you enjoyed this message. And remember, you can always join us live online at seacoastgrace.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages. We also have live outdoor services underneath our tent at Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9 a.m. Thanks so much for listening. So we're in this Matthew series, and today we're going to talk about, well, I'm assigned, my assignment was, I think, 14 through 18, chapters 14 through 18, uh, but uh, I'm only going to do uh, some pieces from each of them. And, uh, and today's kind of, the, the talk is about uh, getting to know God. Uh, one of the, the, the most important thing we do in life is get to know God, not just guess about God or hope that we know God, but know God. And uh, unlike what some people might tell you, it is not an instantaneous kind of thing. The disciples, it took them a long time to know who Jesus really was. And they didn't really fully understand until after the resurrection. And so it is a process. And sometimes we move forward quickly in our knowledge of God. And sometimes it's a little slower. Sometimes we even back up a little bit. And uh, we're going to look at Peter. In, uh, in chapters 14 through 18, there's three illustrations, three highlights of Peter. Now, it's interesting, Matthew talking about Peter. And it's showing the good and the bad uh, about Peter and his coming to know Jesus. And I think it's important to realize that in our relationship with God, in our relationship with Christ, it doesn't always go um, quickly or easily. There's some moving forward and some getting in our own way and then moving forward again. And that's why I love Peter. I, I, I think I've told you this. I was in Israel with a group that we were from the church here. I think there's some people in the, in the, in the I said say room, in the tent that were with us on that trip. And we, and we went to a market in Jerusalem. And, you know, they have the, the fish laid out there and they have, it's kind of an outdoor kind of thing. And, and uh, <clears throat> there was a guy, a fishmonger, if you will, who I think is what Peter looked like. I don't know just why. I looked at this guy. He was a fish guy. And I went, that must have been what Peter looked like because he was just interesting looking. You know what I'm saying? He wasn't handsome. He wasn't ugly. He was just different. I just, he was kind of a ready, fire, aim kind of guy. And that's what Peter is like. Peter is kind of always getting himself into stuff. A lot of it bad, eventually good, uh, and yet I just, I like Peter because Peter is just, he's all in, you know what I'm saying? He's, you ever have a conversation with someone and the whole time they're talking to you, they're looking at other things, you know they're not really, Peter is there. Wherever he is, he's there. For good or for bad, he's in it. And, I, and we learn a lot from Peter because of this. So uh, the first one is, uh, if you're going to know God, you got to get out of the boat, right? We know this story. It's found in, uh, in Matthew uh, chapter 14. In verses 22 through 32, I'm going to read that for you. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get in the boat and go ahead of him, on ahead of him, to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up a mountainside to be by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, now like I'm saying, Peter's always in it, he's in it, right? Uh, so Peter replied, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Now, it's an interesting thing because he could have just jumped out of the boat. I'm going to find out if this is Jesus or not. But he understands that he can't walk on water. But he believes enough, he knows enough in Jesus that if Jesus says to do it, he probably could do it. Okay? So there's already some knowledge of Jesus. Not a full understanding who Jesus was, but there's some knowledge. There's some, uh, uh, some dependence or trust in Jesus. 
And, uh, and Jesus, come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Now, I'm just going to throw some principles out here. I just was reading this again. I love this story. One of my favorite stories because I, I just, you know, I think we all think Peter was a failure, but he wasn't. He's the only one who walked on water besides Jesus. He wasn't a failure. He was a success. Here's, what I, here's one of the principles I'm going to give you. Somebody's got to go first. Somebody's got to go first. Think about frog legs as a food group or caviar or menudo. None of you know what calf fries are, but if you're from Oklahoma, you know what those are. Somebody had to go first. In my marriage, uh, somebody has to go first to say, I love you, or I'm sorry. <laughs> There's something to be said for people who go first. They kind of, yeah, they get made fun of because they don't always turn out great, but, but they went first. I like Peter because he's a go first kind of guy. Someone has to be willing to try what has not been tried before. Someone must risk failing. I want to suggest you it's not just someone, all of us. All of us at times in life have to go first. We have to be the first to say, I'm sorry. We have to be the first to kind of step out in faith. We have to do that. So let me give you some ways when it's your turn to go first, some takeaways. Hey, let me just help you understand. God is not primarily concerned with your comfort. God, your physical comfort. God is not primarily concerned with your physical comfort. God will call you, as a matter of fact, he will fight against your comfort. He will call you out of your comfort zone from time to time. It was much more comfortable in the boat. But he knew Peter would learn something if he got out of the boat. Um, and it says that he got distracted. When you are following God and the circumstances start to distract you, it says he saw the wind, which is not actually possible. You can see evidence of the wind. You can see that the waves are building up. You could feel it, but you can't actually see the wind. I think this is here for a reason. Because he anticipated what was about to happen, maybe the storm coming or whatever it was. He was anticipating something that wasn't yet. It was just interpretation of what he thought he saw that scared him. Now, here's what's funny <clears throat> you're walking on water because Jesus told you you could. You're walking on it. Why are you afraid of anything? He's walking on water. No human has ever done this before, and the wind scares him. So choppy water is harder to walk on than smooth water. Wasn't God's power already at work enough that he shouldn't have been afraid? As a matter of fact, when Jesus said, oh, you little faith, why did you doubt? That's what he's kind of getting at. I, I already had you walking on water. What, did, what was it you were worried about? So many times in life, uh, we're out there on the edge. We're trying to move forward, trying to know God, trying to live in that relationship. And we get afraid of things, things you can't actually think, see, things we just perceive or think are coming or might come. Or the next time you struggle with fear, and we've talked a lot in the last year about fear. The next time you struggle with fear, just ask yourself, why are you doubting? If you're walking in a relationship with God, he's already done something miraculous. He's, given, he's forgiven all of everything you've ever done wrong. He's promised you heaven forever. What is it you're afraid of again? Why, why are you afraid? What is it? Name that thing. Because once you begin to name it, you might see you're just seeing something that actually isn't there. I'm not saying the wind wasn't there. I'm saying whatever it was he thought the wind was going to cause that distracted him wasn't there. And it wasn't something to be afraid of. 
Don't get distracted. Um, it was just his interpretation of the evidence. And do feel free to cry for help when you're in trouble. <laughs> See, he was willing to risk, but he also knew that he could cry out for help. When God calls you out of the boat, out of your comfort zone, when he calls you to that, it's okay to cry out for help. He's there for you. And he may help you learn from the experience. Like, why were you afraid? Was it because you didn't really trust me or you forgot to trust me in that moment or you first trusted me and then you didn't trust me anymore? What is happening here? And he'll help you grow through it, but he is available whenever you want to call out for him. And then he says, oh, you of little faith. Here's another interesting thing I was thinking about. Oh, you of little faith compared to what or whom? Who is he comparing to? Peter, you don't have as much faith as these guys. No, wait a minute. They're still in the boat. You got out. You have more faith than them. Who is he comparing Peter to? Is it possible he was saying to Peter, you have so little faith compared to what I'm going to build in you, what I want you to have, the things I'm going to do in you and through you. You have little faith compared to that. He's not comparing to the other disciples. He's not comparing to anybody else because it looks like Peter, even though he fell down on a regular basis, was ahead of the rest of the crowd. He was comparing, possibly, this is kind of the way I read it, he was comparing Peter to the future Peter. Because he, he speaks into Peter, we'll talk about it in a moment, he speaks into Peter about Peter's future. Peter is in it for good and for bad, and he wants more good and less bad, and he starts talking about it. So, oh, you, you have little faith. Who is he comparing Peter to? The future Peter, I think, maybe. And so God's going to call you out of the boat. Just know it. He's, if you're comfortable in your faith, you're comfortable in your relationship, comfortable, just get ready because he's going to call you to something. It may be through some testing or trial or struggle. It may be through some mission that he has for you. He will call you out of the boat. I just guarantee you that. He always wants you on the cutting edge of, uh, of faith. So uh, anybody's ever lifted weights for any length of time, you know that you've got to keep upping the weight if you're doing real weightlifting. And, uh, and it would be much easier to walk in the gym going, I'm just going to do what I did yesterday. Matter of fact, I'm going to take five pounds off. It'll just be easier. But you're not really going to progress. God wants you on the cutting edge of faith. He's always going to have a next step for you. It might be talking to a neighbor about faith. It might be reaching out in compassion to someone that, that you see is struggling. He will always have a cutting edge. You always want to be, that's where the line of obedience is. You always want to be on the cutting edge, aware of what it is. Sometimes it's character development, something in my life that I'm looking at or I'm thinking about or I haven't let go of or I'm nursing that in the cutting edge of my faith will be God wants me to deal with that. It's calling me out of the boat. He will always be doing that for for you. Um, and then a part of what is to happen is that in these times of, of out of our comfort zone, we are to identify more clearly who God is. That God isn't just a far off being that we've created in our imagination because we needed something, but God is God and God has very specific characteristics, a specific character, a specific intention toward us. So here's Peter, gets out of the boat, starts to sink. Jesus saves him, says, what's your problem? Why don't you trust? And what is the end of the result? They get in the boat, the waves die down, and then everyone worships and says, you truly are the Son of God. The end result of getting out of the boat is knowing God better. The end result is knowing that in every situation in my life, whenever I trust him, whenever I, whenever I lean into him and lean into that cutting edge of faith, I will come out of that knowing God better and trusting him more. Now, it's really interesting because it wasn't just one time, oh, you're the son of God. Now they got it and they're good. They said this several times and each time was a little bit maybe progressive toward who he really was. They didn't fully get it till after the resurrection, but they were learning. They were growing. I think of some of my heroes in the faith who've been Christians for many years. 
How is it they're so much more comfortable in their faith than I am in mine? How is it that they're so much more trusting in their faith than I am? How is it that they are so much more steadfast when I get whipped around by the circumstances? Because they've gotten out of the boat a whole lot more times than I have. And they've trusted God and learned to know Him better in each of those occasions, if you will. The other thing in this, this passage with Peter is that whenever he calls you out of the boat, whether you think you were successful or you failed, if you will fall forward, fall into his arms, if you will fall into trusting him better, you will learn. You will learn. Therefore, sometimes failing, if you think you did, isn't the worst thing that can happen. You'll learn to trust him more. A uh, second uh, passage I want to talk about it with Peter is in Matthew 16, and, uh, and it's uh, verses 13 through 20. And uh, I originally titled this one, Rock On, but I'll explain that to you in a minute. But uh, if the first one is get out of the boat, this one's get out of your old mindset. Get out of your old mindset. And I think Peter is, is highlighted here because um, uh, of the interaction and the recognition that he has there. So it's, it's Matthew 16, starting verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and some others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Now, you, you don't really get that probably, but um, people were looking at Jesus. They were realizing there was something very unique about him, and so they were trying to compare him to people that maybe that he he had he had reincarnated or come back to life or something. He he, he preached repentance like John the Baptist. He had some of the the characteristics of Elijah, and his humility looked a lot like Jeremiah, and so they're trying to equate who he might be. And then he says, but what about you? Who do you say I am? And Peter, again, always in it, always there, ready to go, says this, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Now see, as a statement of fact, that's absolutely right. So all their questions should have been put away. But while Peter recognized that on some level, he didn't fully um, understand the implications nor uh, put them into practice in his life. He hadn't quite really gotten it all the way in. Because when we understand who Jesus really is and his intention toward us, what it really is, it really does change the way we live. It changes how we look at our circumstances. It changes the way we, we think about our lives and our aspirations and so on. So it goes on. Verse 17, um, Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but my Father in heaven. I tell you that you are Peter, and on, now let me stop, because there's so much in this little paragraph I just want to point out to you. So he says, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Now, it's very possible, probably likely, that at this point, Peter really did believe he was from God. He may not have known that he was God, and he certainly didn't understand that the Messiahship was going to be a spiritual, eternal kingdom and not a geopolitical kingdom. Okay? So he's saying, you're the one that's going to deliver us. You're the Messiah. You're going to deliver us. But in his mind, he's still believing that it's a geopolitical, they're going to overthrow the Romans. Israel's going to become its own nation. He's going to be, you know, the Secretary of Defense or something. So Jesus says, um, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood. Now, there's, this is an interesting, but by my Father in heaven. There's something we don't talk about a lot, but there is, um, 
this interesting thing that God reveals himself to people. You can't come to know God on your own. You can't just start reading books on it. The only way to know God, to come to Jesus Christ, is that, that God draws you. That God draws you to that. So even your own salvation, you can't take credit for. Well, I decided to follow Jesus. The song we used to sing. I have decided to follow. No? Anybody? Okay. Probably wasn't the right tune, actually, now that I think about it. But whatever. It's close. No, the, the Father draws you. And there is this miraculous work. To even become a Christian, a true Christ follower, is a miraculous thing. There is this revelation from God. So oftentimes when, I, uh, when I'm sharing faith with someone and they're, and they're kind of prove it to me, prove it to me, I always end with this. I try to give my best apologetics or whatever, but I always end with this. Would you be willing to pray about it? Because I know that for them to ever come to believe in Jesus isn't my arguments or my logic or the apologetics that I hope will be helpful, but it is God himself who draws them. I remember one time I was, I was a young man and I was sharing with a guy who was, he was uh, a Muslim. And, uh, and we were uh, just kind of arguing in circles and so on until about three in the morning. And it wasn't adversarial, it was good natured. And I remember at the end, I said, I'll tell you, I'll make you a deal. I will pray to God. Because he kept arguing we had the same God. We don't. But he kept arguing that um, we had the same God. And I said, I'll tell you what, I will pray to God. And I will pray that he will show me if what you're saying is true. Will you do the same? Because it was the only hope. I was never going to argue anybody into the kingdom, much less this guy. You're never going to argue anybody. It's great to have some good things to present, some logical rationale for what you believe. But at the end of the day, it is the work of God. And so what Jesus is saying to Peter here, it is God who has revealed the truth to you. If you've got someone in your life that you would really love to see become a Christian, it's great to prepare yourself, have the right apologetics, the right uh, thoughts, and so on. But at the end of the day, it is God who must come to them and reveal the truth of Jesus Christ. And so pray for that. Believe for that, because that is the one thing that can break through. And so he says, Peter, you didn't figure this out on your own. And nobody told you this. It was in relation with God. So this tells you something about Peter, that Peter, while wrong, often wrong and very impetuous, he was sincere about knowing God. He was very sincere about knowing God. I grew up where having a good relationship with God was about keeping the rules in some ways. Not, not in every way, but at least I interpret it that way sometimes. But there's a difference between keeping the rules and trying to, uh, try to get brownie points with God and having a desire to know God. I want to know God. I want, I want to be in a relationship where I know God. Peter was sincere about wanting to know God, wanting to know truth, wanting uh, to have that relationship. And Christ acknowledged this. Jesus acknowledged this. And, and a powerful thing. And he says this, uh, And I tell you that you are Peter, Petros, uh, rock. Okay, now there's all kinds of discussions about what this means. Some people think, uh, Peter means little rock, and he's going to turn him into, and he says, uh, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. So some people think that Peter means little rock, and the word that he uses for rock is big rock. The etymology of the words don't necessarily tell us what it is. We just know that Jesus was making a play on words. Now, there's one particular group of people that think he was saying that Peter was the founder of the church, and that he had successors. But that's not indicated in the scripture either. That's not, the, not what he's talking about here. There's no indication of that at all. He's just making a play on words with Peter, Petros, rock. And by the way, 
I also think that he was saying something to Peter. Sometimes I think that, that Christ is, we're going to get to heaven and he's going to go, oh, did you get the three meanings I had there? Because I was working on different levels there. Did you catch that? Like when he was talking about having water, living water. He's working on different levels there. I wonder if he was saying to the disciples, on this, this belief, I'm going to build my church. And saying to Peter, on you, the guy whose name is Rock, but you're not very steady. You're all over the map. You're not, you're not just the rock. You're like here and there and everywhere and cutting people's ears off and stuff, right? He, he was speaking into Peter who he was going to help him become. I don't know. I'm just thinking. So he makes his plan words. And he says, on this rock, I will build my church. And so now, the word church is the word ecclesia. And it means called out ones. It means those, it's, and it was a common word, like a, some people think it just meant gathering. But in the context of the Jewish uh, nation and their history, it meant a gathering of called out ones, unique ones, okay? And so he says, on this, this, I will build this, which is something new. It's not, it wasn't, um, it wasn't a synagogue. It wasn't something they were aware of. It's this new thing that God was going to build. That Christ was initiating. Because Peter wasn't the founder of the church. Christ was. Just a little theology for you there. Um, I will build my church. And here's really interesting. And the gates of death, and in some translations it says Hades, and Hades is associated with death, and the gates of death will not overcome it. The point here is that nothing can stop God's work. God will do what God is going to do. The church doesn't have to be afraid of even death itself. We are going to be who God called us to be. And, uh, and it's also, by the way, uh, yeah, it's just powerful. Anyway, all right, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven, which is a weird thing, but what it means, it's like the Lord's Prayer. Uh, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, when God calls something wrong, then we need to say it's wrong. And when God says something is wonderful, we need to say it's wonderful. What has already been bound in heaven, we need to bind here on earth. Whatever has been loosed, whatever has been permitted, right? So what has been forbidden in heaven, we need to forbid. Whatever has been uh, permitted in heaven, we need to permit. So you're saying, okay, I don't even know what that means. Well, here's what it means. In a society in which so much of the culture, and this is for free, I'm not going to charge you for this part. It's not even in my notes. In a society where we are seeing so much of what is being uh, proposed uh, and preached, if you will, in our culture, being against the Word of God, we dare not compromise. What he says is, you're the church. You have so much power that even death itself can't stop it. Now you need to say what is okay in heaven is okay on earth. What is permitted in heaven is permitted on earth. And what is prohibited in heaven is prohibited on earth. You say, well, what's he talking about? If you think about some of the major issues in our culture right now, there are very clear biblical mandates of whether they're right or wrong. And we need to stay with those. We need to, it's not because you're old-fashioned. It's because we are the church. Something miraculous has happened. We have been changed. We have been forgiven. We have recognized who Jesus is. And we dare not slack off of what God says is right and what God says is wrong. That's what he's talking about here, okay? It's not some weird thing where we go around saying this, 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 and then heaven has to obey. It's the opposite. God has already said what is true and what is right, and we have to then also say what is true and what is right and what is false and what is wrong. And we cannot compromise on it. We don't get to put it up for a vote. God has already told us in his word, and we need to live accordingly. 
Okay, so this is how the church is built, by the power of God, by, by God's word, by teaching God's word. That's how it works. So where were we? Um, then he ordered uh, his disciples, not telling anyone he was the Messiah because the timing wasn't right yet. Okay, so a couple things I want to take from this passage real quickly. Are you okay? Okay, good. This may not be exciting stuff, but it's really good stuff. Okay, okay. So um, Peter's future was greater than he could imagine. Peter, Peter didn't know, he, you know, he was thought he was going to be Secretary of Defense or something. I made that up, by the way, but he thought he was going to have a place in this geopolitical kingdom, right? God's future for Peter was so much greater than that, as it is for every one of us. His life was going to be about the kingdom, not about a local uh, political situation, it's about the kingdom. And God's calling is greater than anything else in life. God's calling is greater than anything else. I remember when I was in high school, I was thinking maybe I should go into ministry. I wasn't really living the way I should at the point. I was struggling with whether I was going to follow Jesus or follow Doyle. At the point, I was probably following Doyle more than Jesus. I definitely was. But I still knew what I was supposed to do. And I, I shared that with a friend of mine. And she said to me, why would you go into ministry? We could do something when you could do something with your life that was really important. And in that, I still remember that to this day. I don't remember any other conversation I had in my junior year of high school, but I remember that one. And I remember it because in that moment, there was a moment of clarity for me, like, what is more important than the kingdom of God? And a part of what he is saying to Peter is, I'm going to do some amazing things. And I want you to get it figured out right now that there is nothing more important, nothing more important than the kingdom of God. Everything else pales by comparison to having a relationship with God and doing what he calls you to do. Um, what are the takeaways for us? Seek to know God. Ask God to reveal Jesus, increasingly so to you. Um, make your confession of faith upon um, God's word and revelation, not just emotion. You notice this confession of faith didn't come on the heels of a miracle so that it was an emotion. Oh, that was great. Okay. It wasn't. It was a work that was happening in their hearts, in Peter's heart as he was coming to know Jesus better and better. Um, it, it also, when he talks about the church there, um, this is just good basic theology. If you call yourself a Christian and you don't belong to a local church, you're not living biblically. I'll say that again. If you call yourself a Christian and you don't belong and are involved in relationally in a local church and serving, you're not living biblically. I won't go so far as to say you're not a Christian, but I kind of think that. You're at least uninformed. And so when he talks about this, is in the context. The disciples were there together. We need to be together as we follow Jesus. Um, also realize that even death itself or evil can't harm you when you're in Christ, when you have a relationship with Christ. Um, he talks about the keys, the keys to the kingdom. What that means, the little translation of keys there is the, the ability to open doors. He calls us the church to know Jesus and, and gives us the ability to open doors so that others can know Jesus. So just like if you're a Christian, you're not involved in a local church, you're out of line with the Bible. If you're not sharing your faith, you're also out of line with the Bible. That is a part of our faith. This is shared. It's not a duty. It is a privilege. It's like carrying the keys to the kingdom. So um, get out of your comfort zone. Get out of your old way of thinking. Peter had his old way of thinking and it kept haunting him again and again, all the way up to the cross. But then at the resurrection, he finally clicked over and began to think. 
He still struggled with it, though. There was still a time where Paul had to rebuke him for some of his views. But he kept falling back into old ways of thinking. That happens to us. So get out of your old mindset. And then thirdly, uh, stay, out of, stay out of the way. Stay out of God's way and stay out of your own way. Here's what it looks like. We've just finished Matthew 16, 13 through 20, where he just is, is, is uh, affirmed in his understanding of Christ and this great revelation. And then look what's hap- what happens in, in starting at verse 21. Very next verse, listen. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Now here's Peter. He's just had this great revelation. He's just got this great affirmation that he's going to be a part of the beginning of the church. It's just wonderful, incredible. And here's how Peter responds. (coughs) Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. He's rebuking God. He hasn't got the old Peter out of there yet completely. It's still in there. It's still a way, <coughs> wrong way of thinking. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Now, what's what amazing is, is that he's, he's telling Jesus, oh, no, no, you're wrong. Not only are you wrong, you're wrong about God's plan. Have you ever told God he was wrong about his plan? God, do you, do you see what's happening here? This, this, this can't be what's supposed to be happening here. Jesus turned and said to Peter, and this, I love, I love this so much. Not because it happened to Peter, but because it happened to Peter and not me. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Now there's a reason for that. When he says, get behind me, Satan, here's what Peter is saying. Peter is telling what his expectations are. Peter's expectations are this. We're going to go, we're going to overthrow Romans, we're going to have this political kingdom, and we're going to do it, and we're going to win, and, and the, the Messiah uh, can save us without suffering. By the way, the exact same thing that at Christ's temptation, Satan offered him. You can be king without suffering. That's why he calls him Satan, because the same offer that Satan made him. And so he's saying, Satan already offered me that. I could be king without suffering. But I, that's not what I came for. You don't understand that. He didn't understand that. So you need, to, you need to get some things straight. And then he says, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block. By the way, the guy who was just a rock is now a stumbling block. That's just interesting. See, we have the potential to, to be several different things. We can either be somebody that builds up the kingdom or somebody's in the way of somebody coming to the kingdom. Or living in the kingdom. He says, you are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. When he, when he says this to Peter, it's, it's got to be shocking. But Peter's one of those guys, you kind of got to explain things with a two by four. You kind of got to hit him upside the head with it. Um, and and I, I think there's some really interesting things here. Um, I think Peter had some wrong instincts. We live in a fallen world. We are raised in fallen families. And he had some wrong instincts and some bad intuition, just like you and me. And some things that seem so normal to us and so appropriate to us are so far from the kingdom. So Peter thought um, that some things, maybe some, some wrong instincts, like hard is bad. I mean, every high schooler thinks that when he does his homework. This is too hard, so it's got to be bad for me, right? Or pain is never good. But if you ever talk to anybody who's made it through chemo and saved their life, they realize pain is not fun, but it could be good. Um, Suffering can never be a part of God's plan. 
There are some people that teach you that. If you believe in Jesus, you're going to have a great life. You never get sick. You have two cars in the garage, a big bank account. But it's not true. Sometimes suffering is a part of God's plan. It was for Jesus and it will be for you and I. The question is, will we enter into it trusting him and allowing him to teach us and develop us and shape us in the midst of it? Some of us need to change our instincts and our our kind of expectations for the kingdom. There's some wrong instincts there. Um, And there's some bad intuition. Bad intuition is when our gut response is not at all appropriate. So, for example, maybe you're a person who who your gut response when conflict comes is to run away instead of resolving it because it's easier. But nobody's ever built a relationship by running away. Maybe Maybe you've got some deep woundedness in your life and your instinct is to always cover that up and not let anybody see it. But if healing comes from God through the body of Christ, until you open up that woundedness to the body of Christ, a small group of believers, you'll never experience the healing that God intends for you. Oftentimes, our instinct is the opposite because we live in a fallen world and we expect people's, people's responses and their actions toward us to be fallen responses. Therefore, we must protect, but in the kingdom of God, he brings all things to light so that he can bring healing and hope and restoration. And so he is challenging Peter's assumptions about life, his assumptions about what makes things work and doesn't. So rocks can become stumbling blocks, Peter's strong will and warm heart linked with his ignorance of what the king was really about led to some shocking arrogance. There are times where I want to point a finger to God and say, what are you doing? But I read about Peter. Uh, We need to remember that when he says, get thee behind me, Satan, in the King James, followers follow. Some of us might be guilty of trying to lead God. trying to tell God where this thing needs to go and how it needs to get there. And whether it's your own life or that helicopter. It is a helicopter, right? Something's not crashing on the tent, is it? Okay. Sometimes we are guilty of getting ahead of God, trying to lead God. I have to make a a constant practice of getting behind God, following God. God, what you want to do in my life, I'm going to follow. God, what you want to do in my family, I'm going to follow. What you want to do in our church, I'm going to follow. And sometimes it's hard, especially during pandemics, when I think we ought to be able to meet together. And yet, that doesn't seem to be what's supposed to happen at a given time. And so I've got to follow because followers follow. That's what we do. And Peter had forgotten that. Um, Jesus had to die on the cross to accomplish his mission. You may have to suffer some things in your life to accomplish what God has as a mission for you. But keeping God first, keeping the things of God, the kingdom of God first in your mind, you won't fall prey to what Peter did, which worldly, bad, wrong thinking. Keeping God first in your thinking will lead you through that thing to knowing God better. Don't settle for lesser things. So I have some questions just to end with this section for you. Um, No Jew in his right mind would expect a Messiah to allow himself to die on a cross. And yet that's exactly what Jesus did. They had a different thought pattern, but God had a better one. My question is, how do you know what you know? Where did it come from? Did it come from bad experiences or good experiences? Did it come from a family that was healthy or unhealthy? Did it come from an instinct to, 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 for self-preservation or for openness and vulnerability and caring that leads to healthy relationships? Did it come from fear 
And if so, why are you afraid? Did it come from hurt? Have you opened yourself up to God's healing for that thing? Does your response come from control issues within you? And where do those come from? And why not turn it over to God? Do they come from pride slash insecurity? Maybe you haven't fully understood who you are. Maybe they just come from autopilot and you don't know where they come from, but they're worth examining because that's why Peter was being confronted so that he would learn. So you want to know God? Get out of your comfort zone. Get out of your old way of thinking and get out of the way. Get your old patterns out of the way. Get your instinct, your autopilot out of the way and let God call you. Let God shape you. Shape your aspirations and your character and let the kingdom thrive in you. Knowing God does not just happen automatically and it is not a one-time decision. It is a lifelong pursuit and it is the most, most important pursuit we'll ever have. Peter went on to do amazing thing, to preach the first sermon after the resurrection. Thousands of people responded and in the end, Tradition tells us that Peter was hung, but he refused to be hung like Christ because he wasn't worthy. He has to be hung upside down. He finally got it. Some of us need to get it. We need to get rid of old ways of thinking, old ways of being, old reactions, and even old aspirations, and let knowing God become the most important thing and let that shape everything in our lives. That's what he was doing with Peter here. And that's what he wants to do with us. Let's pray. Lord God, today I thank you that you have a plan for us, that you love us so much that you won't just let us kind of keep living the way we've been living, but you will confront us. You will confront our misunderstandings and, and what we think we know, and you will confront our misbehavior and our pride, and you will affirm us and grow us and show us that you have so much more for us. So Lord God, in this season of life, for some of us, life is really hard. For some of us, it's not so hard. In whatever season we find ourselves, I pray that you will help us to want to know you better, more than anything else, to want to know you better. Lord God, help us see ourselves for who we are. Help us see you for who you are. And let us live according to who you are and not who we've been, not what our instincts are, but what you're calling us to. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. Thank you guys so much for being here. We survived the helicopter. It didn't drop anything on us. That was good. Yeah. Hey, make sure you sign up if you're coming Good Friday. It's going to fill up pretty quick. God bless you guys. Our YouTube and Facebook pages to hear these messages in real time.